morning we ask the question, are you the one, from Matthew chapter 11, verses 1 to 11. Now with the increased secularisation, every year there's a sure argument that comes up and it has to do with the relevance of Christmas in an increased secularised society. So much so um, that even wishing someone Merry Christmas is being changed to Happy Holidays. An atheist made a case a few years ago urging other non-believers to ignore Christmas altogether. His argument was this, if Jesus is not your saviour, Christmas is not your holiday. At first the words seem shocking. How dare he? But does he have a point? Should we cling on to the remnants of Christianity even if all that is left in the West is just a cultural tradition? Those of us who are committed Christians firmly believe that 2,000 years ago God invaded our world in the form of a tiny baby boy. An event so amazing that it never happened before, it's happened never again, never since. Jesus certainly wasn't the only baby born that night and billions have been born since, in the 2,000 years since that marvellous historical event. But we believe something extraordinary about that one particular baby, born in one particular place to a particular set of parents and come with a particular mission. That baby, no other baby, was God in human flesh. We not only believe that, millions upon millions have given their lives in that belief. They've staked their lives on it. And I hope and pray that we have also made a commitment to stake our lives upon that truth because it is true in every way. So let's ask this honest question. For all the expectations that have been building up in the Old Testament, is Jesus really the one? Because while he was in prison, John the Baptist asked that very question which goes to to the heart of what Christmas is all about. In Matthew chapter 11, verses 1 to 3, when Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the other cities. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? And and that question still resonates with men and women in the 21st century. Are you the one or should we start looking for someone else? Because there's a few of them that sort of raise their hands and, and, and want to take your place. There are many who would like to offer an alternative. You may think that This question is perhaps a little sacrilegious. Are you the one? But God doesn't. That is exactly the reason why we find that question, that word, here in our scriptures 
in God's word in the first place. God understands our doubts and that is why it is voiced by his greatest prophet, John the Baptist. If it was important for John to ask because he was going through a very difficult time in his life, it has to be important for us because eternal issues are at stake. If Jesus is the one, then you'd better be sure about it. If you don't, if you don't think he is the one, then, then, like most in the world, then you probably need to start investigating his credentials and make up your minds. Otherwise, you probably find out it is a waste of time if he's not the one. But for me and many others, he is the one. He is the one. I mean, if somebody came knocking on the door and, and like they're doing in many parts of the world now, even in China, and raiding churches and taking the cross down and locking up pastors and their families and everybody else, and the, it, it's, will you still say Jesus is the one or are you going to suddenly switch allegiances to the, to the leader of the party? Is he still the one? What are the answers from the Old Testament? The Old Testament contains over 300 references to the coming Messiah. From Genesis to Malachi, there are references. You can, you can find about the promised Messiah in virtually every book in the Old Testament. Now, out of those references, I want to focus on just eight prophecies to help us answer the question, are you the one? First of all, we look at, it's from a woman. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel from Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. This is important for his humanity. He was born from a woman. That's why he is called the son of man. It starts... Here we start with this ongoing hostility between the serpent and the woman. This hostility, it tells us here, it says, between your offspring and hers. The hostility extends to the descendants which are divided between two groups. Those who follow the serpent's ways and those who follow God's way. And they're continually fighting against each other. That's what enmity is all about. They're not going to be friends. And finally there will come someone who will ultimately destroy the serpent's power. The serpent will strike his heel. This happened at the crucifixion. And in that same event, in that same event, painful as it was, crush was fatal, confirmed by the resurrection. He crushed the serpent's head. Sting is gone. Sting of death is gone. Last week we sang from Hark the Herald Angels Sing. It's one of those verses that you don't sing uh, a lot of the times in, 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 in this beautiful Christmas carol. 
Come, desire of nations, come. Fix in us thy humble home. Rise, the woman's conquering seed. Bruce in us the serpent's head. From a woman, from Abraham, the book of the, in Matthew chapter 1 verse 1, it says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And we know that God intended to bless the whole world through Abraham's descendants. This is what we read from Genesis 12, 1 to 3. It says, the Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people and your and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all the people on earth will be blessed through you. And even though we know the story, even though Abram and Sarah were very, very, very old, God gave them supernatural power, strength, so that she could conceive and Isaac was born. And then the line begins. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the sons of Jacob, the 12 tribes, the nation of Israel. Years later, Jesus was born as part of the line of Abraham. We move to the third prophecy from Judah. Genesis 49, verses 9 to 10. You are a lion's cub, Judah. You'll return from the prey, my son. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down. Like a lioness, who dares to rouse him? The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nation shall be his. This is beautiful poetic language that we we find here in in Genesis chapter 49 because it is the occasion when Jacob, an old man, starts to bless his sons. And as he's blessing his children, he predicts that the Messiah, the one who holds the scepter, the scepter of power and, and the ruler staff, Surprisingly, it doesn't come from anyone else. It doesn't come from Joseph. It doesn't come from Simeon, anybody else. It comes from Judah. One day all the nations will pay tribute to him. That's Genesis. In Revelations we read, in Revelations 5.5, it calls him the Lion of the tribe of Judah. And this is this is. This is beautiful because this is the image that C.S. Lewis, the great C.S. Lewis, in the Narnia series, the character of Christ is that of Aslan the lion. He's a talking lion. He's described as the king of the beasts, the son of the emperor over the sea and the king above all kings in Narnia. Is he safe? Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he is good. He is the king, I tell you. From David. David was Israel's greatest king and a man after God's own heart. And it is because of this that the prophet Nathan comes to David and promises him that he will will never lack a descendant to sit on the throne in Jerusalem. 
through all the good and bad kings, a lot of them were really bad kings, his descendants, and especially after the, the northern tribes broke away from the south, we, we, we know what happened. The tribes were scattered and everything else, and yet the promise was still there. Years later, another prophet, Jeremiah, clarifies the promise by stating that a ruler will come who will be, and he says this in Jeremiah 23.5, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. And when, when Gabriel, when Gabriel appears to Mary, he told her that the son she would bear would be called the son of the Most High. And the Lord will do what? Will give him the throne of his father, David. Luke one thirty two. More prophecy. John prepared the way in Isaiah 40 verse 3. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way up for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. When Isaiah prophesied some 700 years before Christ, he predicted that a forerunner, that that the Messiah wouldn't just come in a vacuum. There will be somebody who will go before to prepare the way. This is something that happens when important people come. It doesn't matter if it's, uh, if it's uh, the president or some dignitaries from, or the king or the queen, whoever it is, there's a lot of preparation that months and months in advance happen in order to prepare for the coming. There was no one greater than Jesus. But he wasn't prepared with in the palaces or there wasn't all that preparation in the streets. In fact, he was in the wilderness. God called a man called John the Baptist who would announce the coming of the Messiah 700 years before Jesus. Think back 700 years today. We are in the 1300s. Long time ago, isn't it? Columbus hadn't discovered America. Duncan wasn't even born yet. (laughs) That's a long time. 700 years and yet gives the, with such accuracy and at the beginning of his gospel Mark quotes the Old Testament and immediately he, he, he identifies John the Baptist in Mark chapter 1 verses 4 to 8 and all the New Testament writers under, understood that those Old Testament passages were fulfilled in the ministry of John the Baptist Then, born of a virgin. King Ahaz was, was fearful and doubted God's promise. The Lord basically said to him, I'm going to send you a sign that will surprise you. Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14, The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. No matter how 
Ahaz understood this, there is no way he could have foreseen that 700 years later, the fulfilment, this, this prophecy in all its glory was going to be to come about. It was, of course, the virgin birth. The virgin shall conceive. How is that even possible? We spoke about this last week, the virgin birth. We know the story because when the angel spoke to Joseph in a dream, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And that was that. He was born in Bethlehem. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. That was from Micah chapter 5 verse 2. Bethlehem was small and significant. And the Messiah will be born there. Micah also gave his prophecy 700 years before the birth of Christ. And the, the, the Jewish leaders, they knew this. And when the, because what the, when the wise men came, where did they go? They, they turned up at the palace. And King Herod asked the scribes about it. He says, how is this going to happen? And they quoted Micah 5.2. So they knew that it was supposed to happen in Bethlehem. Of course, he was born to be an offering. This is the next prophecy from Isaiah 53 verse 10. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. He was born for a reason, for a purpose, a mission, to be an offering for our sin. The sin that separates us from God and condemns us to hell has been defeated by the, the one, the only one who could, who could defeat Satan, our Saviour, Jesus Christ. No one before, no one after could be able, would be able to atone for our sins before the Father because of his perfect, sinless life. Today, we're able to look back with this unique privilege of hindsight and read the story and just go from Genesis and travel through the books and through the prophets and, and put it all together and see the end of the story. When you read books and, and novels and, and history and biographies and others, do you sometimes go to the end before you start reading at the beginning? Do you do that with movies? Uh, you just want to see how the end finishes and, and not keep you in the suspense. I'm, I'm a bit like that. Oh, come on, let's just tell me the end of the story. We're able to do that with scriptures. If you want to start in Revelations and read all the way back, that's fine. It makes perfect sense. 
We know that even there at Bethlehem, even as they contemplated the star, and I don't know if you've, if you've appreciated this, but the star is actually in the shape of a cross. Um, I, I saw that picture and I said, wow, that's, that's very interesting how they, they shape the star, not everything, but actually in a, in a way like that, because even there in Bethlehem, the shadow of the cross was already over the manger. In him, Emmanuel, God with us, born to be lifted up. As we sing, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. No chance. We like that expression, no chance. That's eight different prophecies that I've just given to you uttered by different people over a period of 1,200 years. And all of them were fulfilled in none other than Jesus. He came exactly as God promised. That is why Peter um, in in Cornelius' house in Acts chapter 10 says this, all the prophets testify about him. One after the other. They were all talking. All the prophets testify about him. And I'm just giving you eight prophecies. Do you know that in the scriptures there are, in the Old Testament, there's about 300, there's over 300 prophecies about Christ in the Old Testament. That is amazing. Could this have happened by chance? So here are eight prophecies about the Christ and and let's just go over it again and see how it fits together from a woman. Well, lots of people fit into that category. We usually need a woman to be born and 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 a man. But Jesus was special, born of a virgin. From Abraham, that narrows it down. From Judah, narrower still. From David, narrower yet again, announced by John the Baptist. That's getting very narrow. And born of a virgin. That's a category of of one, no one since, no one before. Born in Bethlehem. That's very, very specific. And born to die as an offering. No one else but one. Now when you consider all the evidence... You have to admit that only one person fits all these details. And someone out there, and quite a few of them have actually dared to say they just picked the person and just put him there in history and wrote all these books and stories about him and the Gospels and everything else in order to fit Jesus Christ. It's it's a bit like uh, shooting an arrow and then drawing the... uh, the target around the, uh, the arrow where you shot it. That's what they basically said happened to Jesus. Not on your life. I'm sorry. Many still say, yes, that, that's true, but it all just happened by chance. Well, you could say that, but what are the chances? 
Many people today get their inspiration for living from dumb and dumber. So we're going to play a video and see how that works. What do you think the chances are of a guy like you and a girl like me ending up together? Well, Lloyd, that's difficult to say. I and mean, we really don't... Hit me with it. Just give it to me straight. I came a long way just to see you, Mary. Just least you can do is level with me. What are my chances? Not good. You mean not good like one out of a hundred? I'd say more like one out of a million. So you're telling me there's a chance. Yeah! Don't give up, boys. There's a chance. A, mat a mathematician named uh, Peter Stoner investigated this very question question about Jesus coming into our world and the prophets who prophesied about him. But instead of looking at 300 different prophecies, he asks, what are the chances that just eight of those prophecies happen by chance? Just eight, not 300, just eight. He did some calculations that's what mathematicians do. And he concluded that the chances were 1 in 10 to the power of 17. It looks like this. Um, it's all those there's 17 zeros. The closest uh, I could come up with in, in, in the letters, we call it a quintillion. A quintillion. Now, Okay, quintillion, blah, blah, blah. What does that mean? All those zeros. Okay. Uh, he then used Texas as an illustration. We're going to use New South Wales as an illustration. Let's suppose that uh, we're going to cover the state of New South Wales in 50 cent coins. The whole of the state in 50 cent coins. I'm going to give you a quintillion amount of coins and I want you to go and lay them all over the state. They will cover the state half a metre deep in coins. Alright? The whole of the state. Now, we're going to mark one of these coins and then we're going to shake it up all right, we're going to shake up all these coins, these quintillion coins, shake it all up. I'm going to pick one of you, blindfold you, and tell you to travel as far as you want. Take the time you, you need, all right? One lifetime. Take as, as much time as you need. You can travel to, to the Tweed Heads, or you can travel to Aubrey, or you can travel to, to Broken Hill. But you must pick the coin that is marked. First go. 
what are the chances that you will pick the right one? You see, in just eight prophecies, this is the same chance that this mathematician has come up with of the probabilities that these eight prophets, eight prophecies, not 300, would come up and fulfilled these prophecies in one man, Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's repeat Jim Carrey's question. Come on, Mary, just hit me with it. What are the chances that a, a guy like you and a girl like me, that's what he said, and the answer is not good, not good. Not one in a hundred, one in a million. When you come to the Christmas story, is it a chance? Is it a chance that you are here? Or, or has this all been planned before the creation of the world, even? Something that we cannot possibly understand or comprehend. Is it a way that God is trying to tell us I've given you so much evidence. I've given you, I've sent the prophets. I've I've given you the scriptures. I've told you. Why do you still not believe? I've given you the mathematical impossibilities and still you do not believe. What is wrong with you people? Either it's happened by chance or he is indeed the Son of God who has come from heaven to earth. Not in a vacuum, but as predicted and announced by the prophets, he would come. So let's get personal, personal application. Back to the question John asked of Jesus in Matthew 11. Are you the one? Or should we wait for someone else? Fact is, if it was asked by anybody else, perhaps we could understand it, but it was actually asked by one of the characters, John the Baptist, that is in one of the prophecies that we mentioned. His doubt was prompted by the trial and the difficulties he was under. He was under pressure. And it's interesting that in Jesus answering him, he didn't appeal to fulfilled prophecy. Instead, he appealed to the proof of lives that have been changed by his power. In other words, he didn't appeal to the past, even though that is a legitimate approach. Bang, bang, bang. We'll go through the past and just go through the scriptures, which is the approach he took on the road to Emmaus with those two disciples. Here, he speaks about the present reality. He told John's disciples, go back and report to John what you hear and see. Use your senses. The blind receive sight. The blind, the, the lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. 
and the good news is proclaim to the poor. See how it all goes together? The prophecies tell us who he is. The miracles confirm who he is by demonstrating what he can do. If he's not the fulfillment of these predictions, then he has no power at all. But because he perfectly fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies, he has the power to change your life and my life. This is, this is what makes the difference. You can, you can read the history, you can, you can pinpoint it back and we can read all the prophecies and everything else and people still ask the question, what difference is it making in my life now? Christmas perhaps is, is being ignored by a lot of people apart from the cultural significance simply because the people out there don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. That's why it's not making a difference. But for those of us who have the indwelling Saviour in us, Christmas is a wonderful event. Christmas is a precursor. He came into our world. He came into our lives. He came into our homes. He came to bring us hope, to bring us life, the life abundant. Christmas belongs to those whose lives have been changed by the power of Christ. Everyone else is perhaps looking in. Everyone else might even be asking the question, is he the one? Yes, he is. He is the one. Is he safe? No, he's not safe. But he is the king. He is the Lord, I tell you. Is he your saviour? Well, you have to answer that for yourself. Is he dwelling in you right now? I hope and pray that he is. The question I hope you would ask and answer in the affirmative. Is he the one? Yes, he is the one. Not only is he the one, he is the one for me. He is my saviour. May God bless us. Amen. Let us sing. Peace.